GM friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nico Vreke, and today I'm joined by Quinn Campbell, who's the VP of Growth at Sky Mavis, and John Hook, who's a, an active advisor and investor and CMO at Play Ember. And so today's episode was kind of inspired by my experience talking to um, teams building ambitious mobile Web3 games. And they all, claim, they all claim that we will bring the masses to Web3 gaming. Um, but when I ask them exactly on how they plan on reaching their target players, they don't really have a good answer. And so the goal of today's episode is to discuss the intricacies of growth and UA and marketing in a Web3 world. Um, and so, yeah, we have two perfect guests for that today. But before we kick off our conversation, let's get to know each other a little bit. Um, Quinn, you want to talk about your trajectory in, in games and, and um, what you're doing now? Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Nico. Uh, excited to be here today. So, um, yeah, before my time with Sky Mavis, I actually spent uh, maybe almost two years in uh, mobile games publishing, hyper casual specifically, right? Um, and I, I really kind of enjoyed that role. I think what's so fun about hyper casual is most of the devs that you're working with are like 24 year old kids in their mom's basement. And it is their absolute dream to ship a game. So basically every time that I would launch a game as a publishing manager, I was making somebody's dream come true. And that was that was the coolest thing, right? But about like eight or nine months into my time in Hypercasual, I started taking a closer look at all of our publishing contracts. And I realized that on every game that we shipped, we as the middleman, as the publisher, would co-opt like 80% of the revenue off of that game. And the game dev who ideated, built and shipped their game was taking home like 20% of their revenue. And I was just immediately disenchanted with really like traditional games publishing, right? It's, it's not a knock on where I was. It's really just kind of a knock on the system that that has sprung up. Uh, and so I, as a middleman, knew that it had to change. Um, I knew there had to be something better out there. And so I started digging. It was right around that time I came across NFT gaming, uh, right around the time I came across Axie Infinity and really Mavis Hub, which is kind of what we distribute through. And this idea of direct-to-community games distribution just clicked with me, uh, and I knew I had to be part of it. Fantastic. Let's uh, remember the the Sky Mavis Hub because of or the Mavis Hub. I'm I'm interested to learn more. Cool. Uh, but before that, John, you want to tell us about about you? Yeah, sure. It's great to have another uh, hyper casual uh, groupie on the <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, my my background. I started off uh, ad agency side, making ads for like entertainment entertainment brands, sports brands, retail brands. And it was in the early days of mobile where there were just websites and those weird crazy frog ringtones. And um, uh, a really good, right well, now, really, really good friend of mine and I were at Mobile World Congress, you know, had too much tapas and sangria and thought, well, how, how hard can it be to start your own mobile ad, ad network? So we did, uh, like at my mum's kitchen table. Um, so built that from scratch and sold that to uh, Funware listed on the, the NASDAQ. Um, and that really just, just threw me into the whole sort of mobile ecosystem. Um, then spent some time rad, running ad colony in Europe. So, uh, you know, very big video, uh, gaming video SDK got bought by Digital Turbine. Um, then had a pleasure working alongside the founders of Oma Games in Paris for a couple of years, building out, you know, Oma Games, one of the top hyper casual publishers. So I don't disagree with anything Quinn said. It's just, it's just the business model of, of, of you know, heavily, you know, ad based games distribution. Um, and then spent a couple of great years at, at Boombit. I mean, on lockdown, building out their, uh, their publishing division. And that's really where I met the, the, the founder of the project I'm, I'm now working on at, 
play Ember. We can get into that in a bit. And then outside of that, like you said, Nico, just a huge fan of just everyone in gaming. You know, I think this Web3 trait of everyone helping each other is, is a Web2 gaming trait. Um, so I've got a really fun portfolio of investments in, you know, gaming tech, game studios, uh, gaming ad tech. Um, and just, yeah, just like Web3, everyone hangs out in, in Discord and, and spaces. But, you know, the same in Web2, I've always just really valued the network and, and friendships and, and building there as well. I'm always surprised when I'm at gaming events. Um, you know, I, I used to go to more financial Web3 events and I often found it difficult to connect to people. And now I go to these gaming events and if I don't know what to say, I'm like, what's, what's your favorite game? And then, you know, we can jam on that. So it's, it's really easy to connect with people. Um, yeah, so I fully agree. This is an amazing space. Um, we talked a bit about, or you both of you touched upon the business model of hyper-casual publishing. Um, could you like go a bit deeper on that? I'd like to understand um, how you see that change in a Web3 world. Um, and obviously, as, as part of that question, I'd like to understand your thoughts on you know, whether Web3 makes sense for the more hyper-casual types of games. Um, Quinn, you want to you wanna start? Can we kick that off? Yeah. It's, so those are almost two separate questions, right? It's kind of one is, what does publishing look like uh, in Web3? And then two is, it's almost like larger, is NFT gaming a fit for every genre or not, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, the publishing side gets really interesting because I, I think that there are so many projects right now that um, are using the, like, they want to be the Web3 games distributor, right? Um, and, and, you know, selling block space right now is such a powerful thing. And so there are a lot of really awesome L1s and L2s who have all this block space to sell and they're kind of optimized for gaming. And, and there'll certainly be a can winner you, here. You, sorry, can you elaborate on selling block space? Yeah, so basically having your own network, having a blockchain uh, and then kind of whitelisting developers to come build on your on your blockchain, right? I think selling block space is one of the, like, it is the oil of the next decade. It's, it's probably the coolest asset to be selling right now. Uh, and so anybody who has block space to sell is in a really wonderful position. Um, so ultimately, right. I, I think that's kind of the first layer of what it means to like distribute. The other part is having a community because, you know, it's almost launch patty in an effect because you do have to distribute, distribute directly to your community. Uh, but it opens up all of these different avenues for how value is actually captured. You know, for instance, well, you can distribute directly to a community. There's now asset sales, there's token sales, uh, in these third party games that can be, that can be, uh, that can be a part of the ecosystem. And so maybe that third party dev is actually able to capture a lot of the token sales or secondary market sales off of the assets in their game. So there's a different kind of approach to it as opposed to just like, hey, we're going to run all the UA on your game and handle distribution and then take some large percent. Um, mm -hmm. As for the second question around hypercasual, I, I actually have kind of a theory and I don't know if now is the right time to dive into it or if I should pass it over to John and, and then take it back afterwards. Nico, I'll let you decide. I'll, I'll, I'll write it down. Hypercasual okay. Web three, and then okay. we can we can touch on that later. Because before, because um, I'd love to have John's thoughts as well. But first, I'd like to push back a bit on what you said, where you know I ask you about what do you mean with box space, and so you think or like you say that it's a big advantage if games publishers have actually like a blockchain and the infrastructure for that. Me as a you know many consider me a crypto bro, right? I'm like yo, decentralization is what we need, right? right? right. And so. Um, 
for me, that is kind of counterintuitive, right? I, I want in an ideal world to have all of the ecosystems open. And, um, you know, if, if people come to me and ask me, where should I build? Um, I think in, in the top three suggestions of ecosystems, there's always the, the ETH, you know, yeah. ecosystem where, you know, everything's open and you can bring your assets from one end, right? The, the, the ZK rollup all the way to whatever like sidechain there is. Um, what are like why why are you so bullish on on companies and publishers having their own block space uh, control yeah it's it's a great pushback right and it's basically this spectrum because absolutely having full decentralization and openness not needing to be whitelisted in order to access that block space which is what you get on eth right uh that's powerful but you also run these risks of like obviously gas gets expensive, but even, even beyond that, right? Like what was it? Was it Polygon a while back that was crashed by this like sunflower game? So Correct. you end yes. up, right. So you run this risk of where there could be block space that's kind of used inefficiently. Um, and so if you go to a kind of a closed, more closed chain where you do have to be whitelisted to build, you're not only kind of guaranteed a certain amount of efficient block space, but I think a lot of the packaging that we're seeing with like BD around, Hey, come build on our chain is also this like white glove service. Like, hey, you know, this is a battle-tested chain, a battle-tested team. We can help you launch your game. Uh, and we're going to build specific infrastructure to support your needs. So it is a spectrum, and there's not a perfect answer to it. Yes, I think that's that's fair. Um, that's something I feel like we could probably do a whole episode about because um, <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things you just, just touched upon in your answer. Uh, before that, I'd love to have John's thoughts, maybe not on, you know, hyper-casual and Web3, mm. uh, but more on, you know, the initial question and the key differences in publishing and business models there and, and like how Web3 changes all that. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think Quinn summarized at the start that the traditional hyper-casual business model um, is exactly that. And I you know, talk about this a lot is that, you know, developers love making games, but they are entering into each individual publisher's business model, and they they define those levers of, um, you know, LTV and CPI that are based on their goals, right? So if you're pre-exit, it's not really about um, uh, it's not necessarily about EBITDA, it's about revenue, it's about chart position, and reinvesting any margin you make back into growth so that you can you know put all that nice marketing out there about you know we've got this many downloads you know worldwide uh, hits etc so i think i think the publishing model in in hyper casual um is is pretty comfortable from an investment perspective when i versus web3 because you're dealing in things that you know to be true right it's very specific calculations early on where you don't need to build a community you can make an early decision based on some hard and fast metrics that you you know have got three, four, five years worth of data to decide if that's going to get you to your goals, whether that's a 50 mil game, 100 mil revenue game. Um, and, and of course, unlike Web3, you have centralized distribution, right? You have, uh, you know, two two major app stores, of course, depending on the country, some, you know, very helpful um, uh, third party app stores as well. But I think that that is, that is one of the, uh, you know, you, you can say it's a disadvantage, but I think in that classic publishing model, distribution is 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 very set. Of course, with some of the sort of recent uh, changes from Apple, um, you know, some of that distribution has become a little bit more pro problematic in terms of the monetization of that, um, you know, starting to hit people's, uh, you know, affecting eCPMs and therefore for bottom line. But I, I, I think, you know, even, even now we can get into that. I, I kind of see, I, I believe the next generation of, of publishing is going to come from, you know, some of these companies I see raising now. 
the problem with the, the traditional Web2 publishers is they have that Web2 mindset and they're trying to basically reverse engineer Web3 publishing into what they know to be true in, in terms of Web2 that I, that I think is, um, you know, is, is going to be a bit of a bit of a challenge, uh, both in terms of metrics, but also I think in terms of the development capacity of, you know, certain studios, depending on the game genre you make, um, I, I think it's a, a huge step up uh, technically. Um, so that, that's sort of my thoughts on, um, you know, the, 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 the classic and, and still standing hyper-casual distribution model. I, uh, I, I I absolutely love that point you just made, John, about almost taking this like legacy mindset and trying to kind of apply it here in, in Web3. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term like skeuomorphic, right, or skeuomorphism, right? Uh, but it's this idea of when a new tech comes along and we don't we haven't quite figured it out yet. We just kind of copy paste our existing mental models. And like the greatest example is newspaper on the Internet. Uh, when it first came out, it was, they were literally just rebuilding the front page of the New York Times on the Internet. And now, obviously, like it looks very different because we realize there's a more efficient kind of web native way to do it. And I think we're in this very skeuomorphic phase specifically around games publishing right now. I don't think that there is actually an exact answer out yet. Uh, and I think that this winning model will be quite different than, than anything that we're used to. But it's just kind of beyond the event horizon right now. So we can't quite see it yet. Yeah, I think and for, for me, that was really interesting, obviously, listening you, you've made that jump sort of from hyper casual now to, you know, one of the the, the leaders and innovators in, in Web3. And I love how your mind is already on needing your own, uh, you know, you're almost like your own blockchain um, versus, yeah, when I look at the, the, the current approach of all these sort of other Web2s, it's just natural in that walk, 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 crawl, run sort of mentality that, you know, you all sort of basically find your your home with that initial N1 and just build around that whilst you figure out and learn. Um you know, because for me, that's actually something I've been thinking about a lot when I when I think about hyper casual specifically, and not the distribution model, but the, the 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 content and the audience. For me, that's the really interesting piece here when we're talking about the L1s. Because for me, the sort of last bull market driver in you know 2021 was the L1 story, right? And now it's this: if we want 500 million joining, a billion joining, well, it, it's not just going to be based on you know, ETH or Sol or, or, or Matic, they're just infrastructure, right? You need to build that application layer to reach end customers. And for me, that's what I think is the, you know, this interesting opportunity with the hyper-casual is you, you have this, you know, very traditional but very large billion-dollar application layer within the app stores. So I think that's definitely something that can be innovated around is how how you can harness that. You know, you need to figure out some UI UX challenges, but basically something people love spending time with without adding like significant barriers and how you can unlock that to potentially drive the uh, the next wave. Now, whether that is, you know, piggybacking on the existing L1s, whether it's going to be some of these L2 challenges or whether, you know, like you're thinking, Quinn, it's going to be some of these publishers behind the scenes or, you know, actually Web3 innovators building out their own uh, infrastructure to dial into that. I, I think it's super exciting to see how this plays out. It really is. So I came into this this discussion thinking that in five years we would have Web two publishing for you know non blockchain or non Web three related games and Web three publishing for games like Axie Infinity that ecosystem and games that that Playmer builds. It kind of sounds like Web three um, in your minds and maybe I'm wrong, right? But uh, it kind of sounds like you're saying that Web three actually revolutionizes publishing as a as a business model and as an 
as an industry or as a, as a part of the industry. Is that, is that fair and correct? I, I totally think so. Uh, I, I think it just, it just changes the economics of the system in such a strong way. Uh, and when you, when you no longer need this like pure middleman, Hey, I'm going to run all of your UA, manage your monetization and take X percent cut. It unlocks a lot of the, the, the economics of the game. And a large portion of that's able to go back to the developer. A large portion of that's able to go to the players themselves who are holding, who are co-owners of your game's network. And a large portion of that is, is captured by the network itself as well. Maybe that's the blockchain that it's running on or other people who are holding assets. And so I think that aspect is so revolutionary that we will see it seep into everything. Yeah, I think in, in phase one, we're already seeing that classic sort of Web2 publishing model, which is the, the Web2 pub publishers striking up partnerships or even investing in the L1 uh, and then maybe some broad ecosystem partnerships with like a Venly, a Stardust and uh, launching a, a, a fund or grants that effectively is the sort of web to, you know, pay, pay to develop model. Um, and then trying to make blockchain games in the same way that they know and is very familiar with them in terms of web two games with some sort of, you know, testing model to de-risk their, um, their investment. So that's what I'm seeing a lot in the classic web two space, but then in web three, You've got some some other other companies and one you and I have discussed, Nico, but like the, the Joyride team, when I see something like that, that that to me is what, you know, whether, whether it's exactly that, that's the route I think Web3 publishing is going to go in, right? I think, you know, building a, a, a platform, an SDK that within it has got, you know, live ops, distribution, analytics, NFTs, marketplaces. Uh, you know, for me, if I think about, you know, like the, 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 the tilting points, the the Scopeleys, the Omers, the, the Lion Studios, that if, if I had to think about like what would V1 of Web3 publishing look like, I definitely think, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what feels very smart to me. I'm excited to see how that, um, that evolves. Yeah. I, I think there's another interesting piece to this too, right? Because it, I think everything we've been discussing so far is very much around like this polished game studio side. Um, and that's obviously really important and probably where the biggest winners will be. But there's a there's a flip side to this, which is this very community driven, open ecosystem UGC side. Um, and, and the example for, for me that's coming to mind is this Axie Builders program um, that, that we shipped maybe six months ago. Um, and it's where we, we basically opened up the IP um, and have provided whitelisted access to build on Ronin Network to I think it's 12 different community studios. Um, and, you know, they range from groups who have never shipped a game before to one of them is actually a really badass hyper casual studio that shipped. Uh, I won't say what, but they shipped. I think they did over 100 million downloads in one of their games uh, with a major publisher. Um, and so all of them are basically invited in and can use our full IP to build any game that they want. They're all pretty light um, and, and have some type of economics built into it. And we're finding ways to support them in the building process. But that is like the other side of it where we are, you know, opening up and sharing our community and sharing our IP. And you wouldn't really see that necessarily in the traditional publishing. Quid, are those, um, are they, are they mobile games or they're like WebGL type builds? Uh, all of them are, I believe mobile first, but can be played on desktop as well. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So we're going to have to get all of them into the app stores at some point. So that, for me, that's really interesting. So without turning into the host, so what, like, in terms of this Web3 distribution model, obviously you've got like, you know, like Gabby leading the way with like YGG. So how, how do you see, see that with what you're doing? Because if I listen to you, it's almost like you are now building your own Web3 sort of, you know, 
in the Web3 mindset, Web3 publishing model. And if you're doing that directly now, tapping into the billions of players in the app store, in, in that model, where, 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 do the, where, where do you see the guilds fitting in, in terms of in, in that sort of mobile distribution model? The guilds have like, the guild ecosystem has really changed a lot uh, in a super powerful way. Right. Uh, when we had this massive boom, uh, it, it's super interesting. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but at one point, about 60 percent of our DAU were scholars. Um, so think about how powerful that is, because that means for 60 percent of our players, Axie didn't actually do any uh, major pushes, onboarding, buying these users, educating them right, and retaining them. It was actually kind of the guilds who were doing it. That's the beauty, obviously, of being a platform as guilds grow, we grow and vice versa. Uh, now, obviously, things have changed. Um, so, and the guilds who are still really, really passionate and really driving are the ones who have shifted away from just being this like uh, play to earn kind of extractive model to actually like how can we build within this ecosystem? And so I think the winning guilds going forward, like we have some guilds who are doing actually like SaaS work. Uh, we have guilds who are now focused on like esports and content creation. We have guilds now who are actually wanting to shift more into this like game creation work and like work alongside these builders program games and be almost launch pads to some extent, uh, like mini intra community launch pads. And I think that's so important because as you grow, it gets harder to scale that nice niche community feel and, and guilds kind of support that. You mentioned earlier, Quinn, that for you, the Sky, no, sorry, the Mavis Hub, I keep saying Sky Mavis Hub. Anyway, the Mavis Hub is, is a key innovation, um, you know, compared to what you were doing before. Could you elaborate a bit on that? What are the, the most important differences that made that light switch on in your head? So Mavis Hub, it's actually great that we're talking about this because there are some updates kind of coming through this soon. But it's it's like it really is the kind of most centralized point for a lot of the touch points within our ecosystem. Uh, and it's what we load all, all of our games through, and it's kind of obviously accessible to all. Uh, it is It will soon have all of these... Builders program games in it as well. Uh, it will soon have any kind of Ronin third-party games on there also. Um, but obviously, because it's our own platform, right? Like it's it's the, we're not kind of blocked by Apple or Google saying no or any other kind of Web three hurdles that might come up in the process. And so, and, and by the way, if if you guys want to run this conversation and, and keep chatting, please do. Please go cool. ahead because you know you know <laughs> what the good questions are. I'm just here, you know, trying to figure out what, what exactly you guys are talking about. So, um, in any case. I'd like to shift the conversation a bit more towards actually getting users on your platform. Um, Quinn, could you tell us a bit more about how you're approaching that from the SkyMavis side? Yeah, yeah. So the way that the, the way that I think about growth really at Axie is like there's kind of four four parts to it, right? Uh, it's our community, it's our content creators, uh, it's it's this like ecosystem projects or really guilds, right? And then it's user acquisition. Um, and so every day the conversation is how can we further unlock each of those channels. Um, so like on the community side, we recently launched this Lunasi and codes program, which is this really badass referral program where like all the ref codes and ref rewards are actually coded into our marketplace smart contract so that uh, reward payouts occur immediately as soon as marketplace transactions occur. Um, and you know, we launched like an Axie creators program as well. Uh, but the UA side is getting really interesting just because it's completely unsolved in web three. And it's, it's been, it's been a headache for us, but like a really fun headache, um, cause it's such a puzzle. Uh, maybe I'll pause before I dive too deep into the UA side and, and maybe invite John to add in and then I can, I can add more afterwards. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I, I think there's two, two ways to look at it. And I think part of the answer is freeing yourself from all these labels, like, and definitions that, right, a Web3 game to date traditionally has been, you know, uh, 
like a WebGL type build and it's not mobile and anything Web2 is mobile. I think the, the starting point here is just to remove that. And it's about where can we bring blockchain in to make gaming more fun? And, and one of our investors made this great point. He's like, look, if you can bring me a game that I would choose to play over and above an existing mobile game, that, that would really excite me. And then let's start talking about um, NFTs and, and tokens. So I, I think this is this is something we've been obsessing over, which is, um, okay, you've got these billions of players in the mobile store already, and we're talking a lot about hyper-casual. So you know, we're not talking about AAA gamers here. We're not talking about RPG gamers. And we're talking about people that aren't going to play a game if you put a giant paywall in front of it, e.g. an NFT that costs $100, right? You know, in hyper-casual, that would just tank your business immediately. Um, so I think that that for me is 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 kind of really exciting is and and what a lot of these l1s are trying to figure out and i, I love what axie are doing listening to it I, I i saw it at the um your insane japanese ambassador at the uh the conference <laughs> in okinawa was talking about the builders program but now you're talking about it i think this is super cool about the way that you're approaching it for this mass casual audience i think that's really cool but i i think there is a huge opportunity here because a lot of the really top um uh, ETH games, you know, like like Alluvian, like, uh, like L- L- the Laguna team, for example, I think a lot of what's coming is these more, you know, casual skill-based PvP games. So I think for hyper-casual, there's definitely an opportunity for someone to figure out, okay, there's this billion-dollar audience here. Um, how can we just, without them even knowing, bring them and onboard them into uh, Web3, right? And that, And that's essentially what we've been sort of quietly using our knowledge and uh, and building out but then the challenge there is how how do you basically um obviously for the players if you think about that classic hyper casual model there's no community in it right you can make the the experience more easier um, and more fun in terms of interoperability but this sort of community element you know when you know this for hyper casual games you just ship a game and bar the usual comment in the app store about there's too many ads you don't have this yeah. discord channel about like hey guys like when game like when's update when's the next skin coming like every every day right you just and the multiplayer is fake multiplayer anyways oh so. yeah the the, the, yeah. the ai um right. so i yeah i i definitely think that's a that's a there's a huge challenge but I, I think the investor challenge when it comes to hyper casual is typically they you know in web 2 yeah, they, they can't compete with, um, you know, like look at Triple Dot's recent valuation. They don't have the LTVs of those kind of players. But I think this is where Web3 for me is really interesting is this isn't about gaming, right? I think it's how can you unlock this hyper-casual audience to power this whole community-led, brand-led, PFP-led, loyalty-led um, uh, like next wave of Web3 businesses because that for me is a perfect fit, right? You look at um, like 50% of hyper-casual ads and they are not for hyper-casual games, right? They are for, you know, other um, like brands and commerce and and products. So I, I think I'm really excited to see, you know, that evolution of uh, of hyper-casual games in, into Web3. John, what, what, what are some of the hardest parts, some of the biggest challenges as you think about bringing, bringing normies, right, into a Web3 game? So I, I think... So one of the biggest challenges is just the whole crypto piece, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. All of this right now is, is a thesis. Like I'll be able to give you, if you ask me in a month, I'll actually have some answers for you. But I think this is what we don't know, right? Um, I think what we do know and have to assume is that, you know, some of the current uh, onboarding in terms of like um, having to, you know, have two different tokens bridge ETH mainnet, right? That's just a, a huge step too far. 
Um, I think there's just a lot of negativity around if people have heard of crypto, it's not a positive experience for them. And I think you made the point earlier. I think it's this assumption that, you know, play and earn fits into this assumption, right? You and I have spent a lot of time with these players. Well, there's some pretty proven Web2 business models that actually tell us what they are happy to do in in game in terms of, um, uh, you know, like reward, like misplay, for example, like rewards based gaming. So I I think the major barriers that need to be removed is is this NFT pricing issue. I think making it very, very easy to sign up and become a Web3 player without even knowing it. And there's a whole other topic of conversation around the wallet onboarding and security issues related to that, to try and make that as simple as possible, um, given obviously the recent Solana news. But I think that's definitely a key part of it. And I think the other the other challenge is then, certainly with Web3, is making sure the sort of metagame that sits on top of top of that, the sort of motivations are really simple but compelling to drive the user behavior that ultimately um, the, the the studio or the the people accruing value behind it. So in Web three, the community is going to sustain it, right? Because if that if that motivation is not enough, then why go and leave um, the, the games they love playing every day for this other game that kind of looks the same, but there's no real extra value for me playing it in terms of me personally as a player. Um, and there's this, you know huge $100 IAP I've got to make to play the game. So I think that's a sort of summary of how I see what some of the current blockers are if you just try and smash Web3 on top of Hypercasual. Yeah. Nico, I think you and I even spoke about some of this before, right? Like you can no longer just kind of do like uh, DeFi protocol with a game wrapper on it. It has to, you got to go back to the roots of having a fun and sticky core gameplay first and foremost. And then, you know, token mechanics and an open economy are just kind of some really nice sprinkles on top. Um, but, John, awesome points. I actually kind of have a couple thoughts here uh, in response. I, I think we're at a really tough time right now where all of us in the space kind of see the inevitability of this really awesome future that's being powered by, by blockchain. Right. Um, but, you know, the most people are scared of it. And, and like it makes me think of like when email first rolled around. Uh, you know, I think like your average mom who today plays Candy Crush probably back then was like, oh, I don't want to figure it out. Like, that's just, you know, let me get my son to help me. And then it reached this critical mass where like everybody had to figure it out. And you got into it and it turned out to not really be that that scary. You know, and I, I think we're kind of just chasing that moment right now. And it'll definitely come probably sooner than, than most of us really are ready for. Um, but in the meantime, right, or even probably after, having this free-to-play uh, on-ramp, I think, into most NFT games, especially in mobile, especially kind of in hyper-casual, I think is super critical. And that's a theory we're testing right now with Axie Infinity Origin, which is the latest kind of you know revamp of Axie that, that we're pushing here. Um, so far, we're seeing a lot of power in that, actually. Uh, what's beautiful is it lets us capture users you know, in a, a way that they're already super comfortable, right? Go to the App Store, click download. Everybody can do that. Once we have them already in my head, this is this is actually what we're going to be testing really, really powerfully here, probably kick off of Q4. Does it then just turn into a CRM problem? Right. At once we have them already, can we optimize uh, through every touch point possible, basically a curriculum to help them convert into being blockchain gamers, into being NFT gamers, NFT owners at that point? Right. Because ultimately we're going to capture them as unregistered free players. Then I, we're spinning up this conversion rate optimization team that's going to be focused on, okay, free to registered and then registered to blockchain. 
Uh, and I think it's going to be a super grindy to figure it out, like just old school A-B testing. But I think that there's an answer there. And I think I think the other thing, Quinn, and, and again, I, I, I love how you think is, I think a couple of things. One, you've got the perfect IP for it, for these mass casual games, right? It's something that wouldn't look out of place in a hyper casual game. But I, I'd love to know what you're thinking then around, because the other piece I see is then for the, just like Web2 games, the different profiles of players you've got some will love playing the original sort of like gamified staking version but as you grow your portfolio how you're starting to think about creating different content and different games to then start moving people around and then almost a meta game around that as the motivation to start interacting with like different games in, in your portfolio so i guess my bigger question is 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 ultimately if we go forward three years do you see almost like this giant like Axie Arcade, right? Where you've got this portfolio of like, you know, almost like your own app store, right? You've got, I don't know, 200 games in there like across hyper casual, I will merge, like PVP skill-based that you're powering. How, how, how do you see it? Yeah, that's such a, a wild question, right? And the reason why is because we actually sat down and, and did like a really deep analysis on this uh, a while ago now, maybe like nine months ago. And we identified like 13 personas in our ecosystem. Why? Because maybe six of them actually play the game, but we have like hardcore community members who are nothing but like uh, rare asset holders or nothing but like participating in our DAO governance discussions every day. They never touch the game. Are they any less a community member than someone who only games? No, maybe they're even more involved in a way, right? And so that's where Web3 gets super weird because it's not just gamers who are persona community members, you know, all of a sudden. And so figuring out how to keep all of them involved is, is a lot to juggle. Uh, and, and it goes beyond like the traditional approaches. But when it comes to just the gaming personas themselves, um, I think the answer is yes. Like we definitely have this vision of, of having a much greater ecosystem, uh, a large portion of which is also Axie IP, you know, like for instance, the Builders Program games we discussed, and a large portion of which is also like entirely third-party IP. Um, but finding ways that, you know, as we select some of these games that we build alongside, it's very important to us to make sure that it's a match for our current kind of player archetypes. We're actually in the process of onboarding this like really badass uh, kind of psychological analysis, behavioral analysis tool called Solston. Uh, it used to be called 12 Traits. Now it's called Solston. Uh, and they're going to basically help us identify, you know, what gamer, what games our current players are most into, what kind of genres and types to help us really pick the best fit for ones going forward. That's super cool. I, 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 I love that. And it's, um, I think it also feeds into another thought I've been having in this challenge where I see all these like PFP collections and it, and it's like, okay, this particularly on ETH where you kind of feel that people there are so passionate about the identity and the brand and the merchandise. And it's just like, it almost feels a bit lazy that, Oh, well, we should make a game. And it's something I'm waiting yeah. to see as these games roll out is what, what is the actual fit between you know, and I see them making like hardcore games and I look at their PFPs and I'm like, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I might be wrong. I mean, I don't know him personally, but like, you know, Justin Bieber, does he want to sit and play a triple A game? Right. Um, and I'm also wondering, like, it's, it's not a huge audience here. Um, so I'm also interested to see how that, that evolves. Cause I feel some of these PFPs should, should stick to being like a web three brand. Right. And right. explore that broader entertainment space. And I, I think leave, you know, leave gaming to, you know, companies like, like yourselves or the, the established studios. I'm really interested to see how that pans out, but you know, the way you're thinking with all these, it goes back to my agency days. You, you've got these like 13 different audience personas and, you know, you're basically building 
you know, content and experiences for them. Like you said, whether that is gaming, whether it's entertainment, you know, whether it's just merchandise, I think is really cool. John, it's a really cool point around uh, the uh, like 10K PFP projects, right? Uh, and I think there's definitely this kind of fashion to to build a game. And I think a lot of that may have even been more well-timed with the X2 Earn um, kind of wave of things. And so it, it just became a really another another powerful mechanism for rewarding your current token holders, right? Like staking, okay, you got staking, now go build a game and you know distribute more tokens. I'm actually curious, have we seen any... PFP projects launch a major kind of hit, not hit, but too early for that, but even really successfully launch a, a big game yet? I mean, it, it depends. I mean, it, it depends how loosely you define like PFP. <laughs> um, you know, like like for me, like if I look at crypto unicorns, I could know it's a game, but like also like there's some people that were just buying that because they love unicorns, right? Um, and I discovered this phrase, these like crypto bros, um, sorry, these unicorn bros that e that love my little pony, that <laughs> were all buying crypto unicorns, right? They weren't buying it because oh, it's well. a game, um, but you've got like a legit, you know, like Aaron and the Laguna team behind that project and they're now spinning off some more games. I know that's a really tenuous link because ultimately it is a game, but yeah. No, it's your, a great point. But, yeah. but, your, yeah, but your point is, yeah, if you look at the classic PFPs, for, from my knowledge, I don't know, Nico, if you know any, but... I'm struggling to think of one. And I don't, I don't want to bash any, right? So I, I want to be clear. It was, it was more of a question and, and not, a, uh, not a slanted opinion, I think. Yeah, but everyone's uh, figuring I'm it out, sure, right? Sure like one, yeah, of, exactly. one of the Solana projects that um, you know, I've, I've been in for a while, just as a holder, um, like Soul Gods, um, uh, they've now made this huge pivot. Like the CEO's moved to Lisbon and they're now building out this big entertainment uh, company. But as part of it, they are moving into this uh, like gaming experience. And he's been really open on Discord and to communicate about some of the challenges of making that transition from being a really early like Solana PFP collection mm -hmm. to trying to build a gaming company, right? And, and you know, I, I love that honesty, right? Because it's, it's just not easy, right? We've all been there on the, the gaming side and it, you know, to build up, you know, building out live ops like, is something that is not easy, easy to do. But yeah, I, that's what I love about this space is that everyone is just, is, you know, it's that startup mentality. You've got a couple of theses, like run lots of little experiments and see which one catches fire. And I think that's what's yeah. exciting about Web3 is everyone is thinking like that and moving so fast that these, it's, uh, you know, you, you, you have, we've all said it before, like a week, a week in Web3 is like, what, I don't know, three months in Web2? It's, it's crazy. It really is. It really is. I, I've been speaking with the CRM platform about kind of uh, signing an agreement and their original pitch was a four-year deal. And I just... In, in you know in NFT land that's that's an eternity and so uh, I think helping people understand one that's key. one thing Quinn the the CRM thing again I think is really interesting about where I think Web three from a marketing and distribution point can solve some big Web two problems is, is this question about like audience profiles that ATT you know made a lot harder right in terms of you know people having to opt in and, and add targeting whereas in Web three you know when you have people signing up. And if you're building this whole CRM engine behind it, collecting all this data from, you know, I think the wallet is going to be the, is, is going to definitely be the next battleground. But I see that as a really interesting piece around Web3 marketing and distribution moving forward. Um, that, uh, again, you, you can actually build up some really rich, like compliant audience profiles to deliver amazing, not necessarily advertising, but amazing experiences for your players and consumers that increasingly is becoming a, 
a challenge in in Web two, and people are almost trying to gamify uh, and 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 hack the app, you know the the App Store and Google rules to just get around these uh, these permissions. So I, I, for me, I also think that's a really interesting area when we talk about UA and growth in Web three that I can I can see some people building. Yeah, yeah, and so I think. It's super interesting point that needs to be solved, right? And and there's people working on it. Like I've just found out in the last couple of weeks. That's what's incredibly exciting. I actually just had coffee yesterday um, with someone from a major uh, Web2 hyper-casual publisher. And uh, they're now working on um, basically the ability to create like really powerful personas uh, using wallet data uh, and then use those personas to target kind of the not the uninitiated like web two traditional gamers uh and acquire them into web three that way by like you know basically finding what's going to be the best fit uh super interesting and i think i actually just got us into a a beta for that which i'm pumped to test that out but the other piece of this as well is like even attribution platforms don't really work that well in web three uh you know we we onboarded one and uh realized it was only going to do about 60 percent of what we needed it to do and so actually had to onboard a second attribution platform to fill that uh, remaining 40%. Uh, and now have two attribution platforms kind of working together in kind of a hacky way, uh, but it's going to work, you know, because we have to track people across mobile, across desktop, across our web-based marketplace. We have to pull in blockchain data, real-time transaction data that's not even denominated in like a currency that makes sense to an attribution platform. And so like, it's super messy. I love this, by the way, um, you know, I'm supposed to be a facilitator of discussion. And if I don't have to do anything, I'm just sitting here and trying to figure out what you guys are talking about and absorbing um, the knowledge and insights. John, I'd like to um, get your learnings. So you've been operating within the Web3 space for a bit. I think people that listen to this might be, you know, CMOs at a Web2 for. What are some of the skills that you've needed to learn in order to, you know, be successful in, in this space? So I think, first of all, community, um, it's just this word that is, is bounded around. But if you are even considering it, get involved in some like Web3 PFP collections, games collections and hang out in the community and understand what community really means. Right. Because it's not people just say, oh, yeah, community, build a community. But what does that actually mean? And these some of these discords are just wild. Right. Um but particularly the, the ones that you really want to get enchanted by and understand how they do it are the ones where there's no mention about floor price, right? Uh, it's just people that are just there for the community, for the game, just constantly giving sort of feedback. And it, it, it's just quite overwhelming, right? I, I'm, I'm in one of them on Solana and it's, it's just amazing. I don't, I feel like I know these people. Like it's, um, it's like the remnants. It's like a just really, really, like sort of hardcore idol looting game, but the, the community there is just it, it, like in, insane. Um, so I definitely think this this community piece is is something you shouldn't underestimate and just assume because you've got a social media team in Web two. Oh yeah, they, they can they can do this in Web three. It's fine. Like everything is different. Like you started the the podcast, Nico, like GM, right? Great example. Like no one talks like that in Web two, right? So I, I think I think definitely that that is one of the key things. The second thing that we've covered is. Um, the speed at which you have to move. You do not have that luxury in Web3 to have a team meeting, another team meeting, a smaller team meeting, like meeting with your You just don't. You, you have to figure this stuff out relatively quickly. Um, I think the third thing linked to that point that, I, you know, we, 
I, I guess you get used to in, in, in Web 2. Um, but in Web 3, you have to be. You, you're going to fail a lot more, and you just need to get super comfortable with that because there are really no rules, right? Whereas in Web 2 gaming, the three of us be like, as we've discussed, yeah, that's kind of how you do it. That's the business model that works. Here's the reference points. Here's the metrics. In Web 3, no one knows, right? But there's the opportunity, right? There are some people that kind of know and are testing loads of stuff, and that's the mindset that you've got to have. Um, and, and I think that's the, the challenge I've seen from some people as they come into Web3 with this, I want to say ego <laughs> from Web2, like, oh, I've done this stuff and whatever. And that's, that's, that's amazing. That, that's great and, and an incredible achievement. But I think Web3, you just have to be humble. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, just learn. Like treat people with respect and your your curve of learning is going to be amazing if that is your mindset. But I think, unfortunately, if if you don't embrace sort of Web3 um, and, yeah, you bring any sense of ego into it, then it's going to be a bit bumpy. Yeah, uh, that failure part's so key, right? Like failure is not only part of the development process, but public failure is, is part of the development process because everything we do, we have to, we have to build in public, right? Yeah. And, and, and there's a super interesting point around why community is so powerful in, in Web3. Um, because the truth is that community in Web3, each community member is 10x more passionate. And that's on both sides, right? That's on the upside and the downside of it. Um, why? It's, it's because they're, they're really not just community members. And this is something that all of us kind of intuitively get, even though we don't say it. But the truth is they, they, they're your co-owners. They're the co-owners of your network, right? And the way I always like to think about it is like in Web2, when you ship a new project, your first goal is really to like capture your first 1 million paying users. In Web3, your first goal is to onboard your first 10,000 co-owners of your network. And that's why we see like these 10K PFP projects and the ones that, that can kind of hit that, 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 that point are able to roll forwards and the ones that don't quite capture that, that mass kind of don't, right? Um, but it turns into like this very powerful hand-holding process of onboarding those first 10,000 co-owners but once they're on, man, like they're your evangelists and they turn into your whales and they're the ones who are grinding on the discord every day. And they're the ones who feel like your family, even though you've never, never met them in, in physical. And then just like you've done, Quinn, right? And then they actually become your ambassadors, right? Like I haven't exactly. seen some of them on stage and tell their story. They just started out as players, right? And just progressed. And I think that's the amazing thing about building teams in Web3 is that just acknowledging some of your key hires are going to come from that early community right and and that's great and the reason why you hire them is they've already got that network and they just understand web3 um so it's a great point yeah and, and again i think you're you know uh, something i've been i've been studying and, and looking at axi to really understand this in web3 because your earlier point man that the passion some of these videos for like your big conference coming up in barcelona just insane it's just people love, people love Axie. It's just nuts. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. But again, I think that's just one of the key learnings. Like, I think you you need to study like all of the big games, and I know there is this barrier, but you need to play them, join these communities, and once you start figuring this stuff out, it's just okay. okay what what is my version of that? Um, you mustn't forget the importance of um, of brand. That again, you don't have to think of in in in, in Web two. You think about your brand in a B two B sense. If we're talking about hyper casual publishing, right? Your brand is important to investors and game studios, but you don't have to worry about consumers. Whereas in Web three, as a games company, your brand is super important, right? Not just obviously the game itself, but your brand and the like. You know, like actually just the power and the passion behind that. That's what people are looking for, and they, you know, you can smell it and taste it in the in the Discord, and that's not something you can just 
whip up or you know just just release a bot army on right no and what's so unique about it is like it's not curated uh the brand is so organic and really the community is kind of what actually creates and molds and pushes the brand forward and, and gives it its own its own soul in the first place um i think i, I owe you guys a name uh, antonio garcia martinez is uh is the guy i'm speaking with who's building a web3 attribution platform uh antonio gm on twitter um, I, uh, I won't plug him too hard as I haven't actually had a, have had a, a talk with him yet, uh, but that's coming next week. Um, uh, also I have kind of an interesting example around, uh, around community and, and building in public and how you have to involve them. Right. Um, so we, you know, we recently shipped this Axie creator program, uh, maybe, maybe two months ago now, and it, it's actually the second iteration of it. Uh, the first iteration was shipped back in February, I believe, and was killed, uh, 24 hours later. And uh, what happened was we like we so, you know, we, we needed to build something, some better structure around our creators, retain them and, and help them participate in, in the value that they were bringing. Uh, and so Jiho and I actually went and like did a whole bunch of really badass Web2 creator program benchmarking. And we spoke to people at Supercell. Uh, we even spoke to Fwiz. At, at, he was still at YouTube Gaming at the time. Right. Um, and we spoke to Epic about how they structure theirs. Uh, and we built like, honestly, it was a really elegant creator program uh, and had ways. Uh, one thing that they kept telling us was like, you got to pay your creators. Like it doesn't sound great, but ultimately your top creators, you got to pay them money. And other ones you have to like give them a way to see a path to making money in what they do. Uh, and so I was like, okay, how do we figure that out? And, and we ultimately decided to kind of add 1% to our marketplace fee at the time uh, to kind of fund this referral code program that only creators could access. And we built all this like quietly and then one day just wrote a sub stack and shipped it. And I'll never forget, like 30 minutes later, there was this Twitter space spun up uh, with like 78 of our top creators and they were furious. They were furious. Uh, and I had to get in there. Right. And it like for an hour and a half, I basically just kind of let them vent because they had a lot of emotions. But what I learned that day was two things like one, nobody likes to be taxed. And that makes a lot of sense. But two, nobody likes to be surprised. And it was the fact that we built all of this for our creators without ever, because our creators are also some of our largest asset, largest asset owners. We built all this for them without even ever consulting them about it. And as I look back on that, I'm like, how could we be so stupid? But I was taking this very web two approach, right? If you're building something for your consumers, like maybe you'll do a little bit of a survey to see how, like, you know, what their interests are, but you're not actually going to like invite them into the development process. And this was just this powerful learning for me that like, oh shit, these guys are so passionate and they deserve to be behind the curtain. In everything that we do. So we went back to the drawing board. We did like 160 hours of creator one-on-ones with all of like the biggest creators in our ecosystem. Ended up learning we had to like even redefine what it means to be a creator because in Web3, like, you know, uh, somebody creating community tooling, dev, uh, a dev creating community tools is a content creator. And like, that's not in Web2. And ended up shipping it, it alongside the community. And, and, you know, I think right now we have a CRM with over 400 Web3 content creators in it. Uh, and I'm pretty confident that's got to be the single largest Web3 content creator CRM in existence. So it would building alongside the community was the biggest learning coming from that. That's amazing. The thing I'm taking from this is like everyone actually always gets wheeled out as like the bastion of Web3 games. The thing I'm taking for this is we, we need to get you on stage at the next wave about building like like Web3, this marketing machine. I think that's that's the story that is not <laughs> not being told that. at these events, right? It's all the, it's 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 how you've got there. That's what I find fascinating. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm, hope, I'm hoping that. we'll see you at more of these conferences because this is, I, I think this is just such a great conversation to be having because 
everyone is focusing on the outcomes of, you know, IDOs and NFT sales and a lot of the noise around the battle of the L1. This, the, you know, some of the things that are going to be figured out here in terms of CRM attribution, you know, we've not even touched on like the opportunities in terms of advertising, uh, like innovation when it comes to ad formats. Like I know, I know we hate them, but there's just some super cool stuff that's going to be done there. Um, you know, it made me cry inside a little bit. I, I love the idea, but when Coca-Cola <laughs> did that launch on Polygon and everyone was shouting about it, I think again, the intention was amazing, but I was like, oh, you could have, you could have done something really, really cool there if you, if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, I, th- is, is, is new, are new routes of monetization? Is that something that you guys have started to think? Cause for us, it's, excuse me, for us, it's in our roadmap, but we haven't actually been able to put any thought towards yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of my background is like agency ad tech side. And that's what something I've been obsessing over, which is, you know, in hyper casual, there's only so many rewarded videos you can put in a game, right? Uh, and I think hyper casual, the meta of hyper casual is getting better, right? I think Rollick in particular for me with the Zynga acquisition, I think the, the layer of complexity they're adding and bringing, you know, three button upgrades into hypercasual is kind of cool that gives you more flexibility to do that. But yeah, I definitely think blockchain technology, you know, is a blank piece of paper in, you know, you should be trying loads of loads and loads of stuff. So something we're going to be testing is, okay, loot boxes, the gacha mechanic, right? People, people know that, right? It's already in loads of mobile games. Wouldn't it be cool if you could hide like loads of axes in these gacha loot boxes in mobile games, right? And then you could just have this crazy competition of it's in the community. And there you go, right? Of course, there's some infrastructure behind that. But there you go. There's your Web 2, Web 3 bridge right there. And I think it's just, again, I, I, I've had to go through this process of, 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 of just forgetting everything I know in Web 2, learning Web 3, and then trying to come Web 3 into Web 2. But I think there's a lot of innovation that can be had now in terms of even what the concept of advertising means rather than just shoving an ad on a screen. Right, because I think we're we're all a bit tired of that. So that's this ecosystem that I can see growing up, and have been trying to draw. Which is okay. How does this all fit together? You know, like OpenSea, Fractal, like the blockchain games. What what does what does this Web three? That app store is a wrong word, but this just like you know, like the eBay of 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 like Web three, this marketplace where you know it's just super easy and seamless. No matter what token you've got to like trade, upgrade, whatever you want, right? How does that all fit in and how does advertising fit into it? And I think, yeah, there's so many interesting parts of this that need to come together, like the CRN, the attribution, the cross-chain piece. Um, and it, and again, that's why we're here, right? It's we, we, we will all do it together versus Web2 is like, no, no, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to build this giant right. moat and I'm going to bring everything in. And you go I'm like gonna, this and try to yeah, keep other people I'm going to have my own yeah. attribution, my own creative tools, my own content. Um, and and that's, the, that's the thing that I, I think is really exciting Web Web3 is, there are these amazing ad stacks and multi-billion dollar businesses. And we've all seen the whole high, high profile sort of news a couple of days ago and proposed takeover that's going to happen in Web 2. But the thing is in Web 3, and I think this is the sense that, you know, we keep talking about is rising now that there were some people skirting around it in these Web 2 business models around identity and people really wanted monetizing it. And I think this is what Web 3 is going to unleash in people that I think Web 2, some Web 2 companies don't understand. They don't own the person. Right. Those ad tech companies, you are just the sum of each of those individual people. Right. And if you can, and you know, like take Axie, like, hey, this is way more fun. I just want to go spend my time here. And you've built this CRM machine and thinking that whose goal is to derive value to those people. That's really exciting. And that, that has to win versus Web 2. 
it's not about driving value to someone. It's how I can get the most value out of you as a user to drive exactly. my machine. And I think for me, that's why I'm so excited about like just that's one of the key tenants of Web3 that, you know, listening to you in particular, Axie and, and some other big builders, that's what they care about. And that's going to win, right? People, people mm-hmm. are going to leave these Web2 wall gardens that don't own them, but these wall gardens think they do own them, right? And I think that's super cool. This is why I truly, I just, I know, right? Uh, Web3 is inevitable um, because the the value capture mechanisms and, and the value distribution mechanisms in Web2 are 10x uh, more superior to what we see in, in, in Web2. Uh, in Web3 are more superior to Web2, right? Uh, in Web2, nobody's time is valuable to themselves. It's only valuable to the, the dev who, who launched the game. And Web3, like, and especially at Axie, we truly believe everybody's time is valuable. And because of that, you should get to participate in the value that you help create, right? Like this super boiled down example, I love to think about it through is like a restaurant, okay? If you're sitting at a restaurant and, and you're eating there, traditionally in our Web2 head, you're, you're a customer and you're paying. The truth is though, just by you being there, you're adding value to that restaurant because somebody walking by, Nobody wants to go into a dead restaurant, but if you're in the restaurant and you're having a good time and you're smiling and chatting with your friends, you're adding value to the atmosphere of that restaurant and helping the acquisition of new customers into that restaurant. Now, if that restaurant was a DAO and you held some of the tokens controlling that restaurant, you were, uh, you know, you participated in governance of that restaurant, you would, the token value would be increasing by you, the value you add to that ecosystem. And therefore you would be participating in the value that you help create. And it's so simple in, in web three. We just never had this technology before in web two. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, but I think also with that is, you know, coming to this hyper casual, that's the education piece because you're, you're saying a DAO, like all of us are like, hey, that's super yeah. cool. And, you know, Nico, what you're doing with your DAO is, you know, makes, we, we get that. It's not like you have to explain to us what a DAO is, but I think that's going to be part of this on ramp. There isn't just the technical side. It's just helping, you know, just find a really friendly way that doesn't feel like this big identity privacy thing that, can clearly communicate the benefits of this DAO and governance to mass consumers, because I think that's also a challenge right now. Um, you know, I was in a focus group last week on this and they were like, what do you think a DAO is? And you just get some hilarious <laughs> answers. Like, like it's, it's a, it's a cheese. It's a, it's a yogurt. Like, <laughs> whereas, yeah, we're talking an acronym. So I think also this is part of the challenge is just assume your audience, this is all alien to them. They just want to have fun. How can you enable that without all these acronyms in the background? Um, so I think that's also a real challenge for us, right? Well, it also raises a really beautiful point too, because at the end of the day, like I, we, you're right, we shouldn't even be using that terminology, especially when we're onboarding new people. Because ultimately, if you're selling a house, are you ever going to talk about like the hammer and the tools that you use to build that house? No, you're going to sell like, you know, the roof over your head, the security, wonderful moments with your family. So like ultimately as we're selling NFT games and onboarding new users, we should just be selling the gaming. Did you, did you, did you miss Rialto out in your introduction in terms of your, <laughs> your, your background, the way you just <laughs> sold me a house? I'm like, I'm like, man, I want to live in that house. You just reeled that off. <laughs> I love it. Maybe that's an alternate career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right. I think ultimately we, we rely so much on the tools because like to us, we're in it and the tooling is unbelievable. Mm. But like your average, your average normie is going to, have no interest in the tools and that's fine because yeah. we can still sell them a really wonderful experience without them. And I think that's one of the questions you asked me. I think that still is one of the challenges right now that I think Google and Apple need to join the party a little bit now and help us out here because they, they you know, for me, they're only going to benefit, right? There is a huge amount of extra value that they can, they can capture here. Um, but perhaps that's wrong, right? Perhaps that's wrong in thinking that these 
you know, these billion dollar web to infrastructure media gaming companies are just suddenly going to switch on to web three. Uh, and maybe it's wrong to think that, but I, I think that is still part of the challenge, right? For these non crypto natives and perhaps the, the ones that index really well with the current sort of blockchain games and, you know, like the shrapnels of the world, uh, like time Raiders, those kind of games that, that I don't think are a big barrier for that overlap between crypto natives and gamers. But I think, yeah, for these mass consumers, there is definitely a, a, a technical infrastructure problem right now that, you know, we, we can create all we want. Um, but we could get there a lot faster if Apple and Google would just, you know, join the party and have a very open conversation and be part of this. Uh, and they are. It's, it, I don't want to, again, I don't want to say like that they're not. There are, you know, there are already games in the App Store with like Web3 wallets in. It's starting to happen. Um, I just hope it's now going to start happen a lot, a lot faster. Yeah, it, Google is is getting a lot more comfortable with it than Apple is. Um, I, I, Everything that's on the App Store right now uh, isn't necessarily in line with policy, um, but obviously it's very easy to slip by uh, on both App Stores, right? Um, Google, I've had a lot of really interesting conversations with them. And, and what's cool is a lot of their people are so crazy interested in Web3. Um, I, I actually just did a fireside chat uh, with their leadership team for their APAC ads business uh, in, in Singapore two weeks ago. Um, and there were about 40 people in there. It was supposed to be like 45 minutes and it went an hour and a half because the Q&A just wouldn't stop. Uh, and they were asking the, the, you know, the most educated questions. A lot of them are in the space and super interested, which is a huge sign. Right. Um, but the truth is that like right now, uh, Web3 and NFT apps specifically probably represent less than one percent of, of Google's current revenue opportunity. So that slows it down a little bit for their leadership to get on board. But they're talking about it. And, and that's what matters. Uh, and then the other part, too, is they're very scared. Right. Because Google's largest asset right now is probably their client relationship. Like they are they are a trusted mobile app distribution mm -hmm. platform. There's really only two very well trusted distribution platforms and, and they're one of them. Right. And they're actually larger in terms of users. Uh, and, and they look at what's going on in the NFT space and they read headlines about rug pulls and like, you know, uh, stable coin crashes. Uh, and they have this fear that there's not an adult in the room. Uh, and, you know, all of us in here, like we're in here for the right reasons. We know that most people are actually are. Uh, but they can't see that yet. Um, and so I've had a number of conversations helping educate them and, and getting them around to it. Uh, and I actually just got a verbal green light uh, for Axie Infinity Origin to be live on Play Store. Um, the only part that we'll be missing will be our earning mechanics. But uh, when we first started conversations with them, they told us we couldn't even uh, hook up to a blockchain. We couldn't even integrate NFTs into the gameplay. Uh, and we got them to move on both of those. Um, so I'm excited. I think we'll actually be the first NFT game that uh, Google is officially allowing onto onto Play Store. Uh, we're we're just waiting for that to be official now. That's amazing. When's when's the movie coming? <laughs> I don't know, man. Soon, maybe soon. Dude, Netflix series, Netflix documentary <laughs> confirmed, hundred percent. All right, guys, we're running over time here. My audience, the listeners are going to be going to be angry. I'm trying to keep these shorter, but uh, yeah, the conversation went well. It was um, I didn't have to do much. It was it was amazing. So thanks for that. Um, last question for you guys: Where can people find you if they're interested in learning more about you, what you're doing, and then where do you spread out? You know the the crypto bro knowledge. John, yeah, you, you can find me on uh, on on Twitter like at, at John Hook. Um, if you want to go Web two LinkedIn. <laughs> To the, to the two obvious places to find people i think and, and that's really interesting now that it's everyone's it's all about your twitter profile and web3 forget linkedin right 
Uh, but yeah, those are the two for me. Mm -hmm. You, Quinn? Yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm uh, smooch underscore axie on Twitter. Uh, and uh, actually, we'll be spinning up a TikTok here somewhat soon. So look oh, out well. for that in the Twitter bio as well. Fantastic. By the way, John, so you're going to be at Gamescom, correct? Yeah, I'll be at Gamescom, yeah. Okay, so th this episode will come out, I think, the week before Gamescom. Okay, so, so you're, 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 I'm going to be there too. Amazing. So you, you and me are going to hang out. Quinn, are you going to be there? Or are you going to be in, in, in Spain? or? I won't, unfortunately, yeah. Are you just saying, Vietnam you are? I'm in Vietnam now. Yeah. When is Gamescom, actually? It's in two weeks. From now, so okay. it's on the, I'll, like, the 20... I'll be there for AxiCon uh, oh, yeah, right yeah. afterwards in, in Barcelona. September. Oh, yeah, 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 September. Yeah, good, good. All right, so um, yeah, if you want to, you know, um, hang out with with John and, and you're in Cologne um, in two weeks, or like next week when this comes out, um, you know, let us know. Um, yeah, that was it. This was a fantastic episode. Uh, this was great. Thanks, Quinn. Thanks, John. Um, really enjoyed this, and also really enjoyed just being able to listen, not having to think. Okay, I have to ask a smart question in a minute. Anyway, so um, yeah, this was great. And listener, I hope you enjoyed this too. If you did, feel free to let us know and, and give us a, a good rating in wherever you're listening or watching this. Um, and, yeah, and with that, we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.